Hi there, and welcome to the DSM CultureCast podcast, where we chat with Greater Des Moines leaders and creators in arts, culture, food, philanthropy, music, and more. I'm Luke Manderfeld with DSM Magazine, and I'm so glad to have you tuning in today, because we have a very special episode with Larissa Cable, a local artist who is known for her out-of-the-box large-scale creations. We discuss her beginnings in art, one of her favorite series, and her upcoming exhibition at Moberg Gallery this summer. As always, if you enjoy this conversation, be sure to subscribe. It really does help us out. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your audio. And if you missed our last episode, we chatted with Hannah Sung, another local artist, about her unconventional approach. Be sure to check out more content on social media at DSM Magazine on all platforms there or online at dsmmagazine.com. All right, enjoy this conversation with Larissa. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Loressa Cable. Loressa, thank you for joining the show. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. I want to start off by helping the audience um, get to know you a little bit. Could you tell us a little about yourself and what you do? Hmm. Um, I am one of those really fortunate people who gets to do what I love all day long. Um, I am a professional artist. I've been doing this full time since my son started kindergarten and he's 22 now. So the past 17 years, I've had studio space at the Fitch um, Studios in downtown Des Moines. I come down every day with my dogs and I get to make art all day long. So really, really fortunate. Yeah, and um, I've had quite a few artists on the show and it's interesting to see how they got into art and how they discovered, you know, they like to create. What's your story? How did you... uh, get into art and really consider it as like a full-time career, uh, something you love? I think, well, it's interesting because I think we're all born artists. I think that's one of the things that's kind of a uniquely human feature is that everybody makes art when they're young. It's more a question of if you stop and when you stop. Um, I just never stopped. And I... My mother is an artist, and so I guess I had a little bit of extra support in that way that somebody always had art materials, um, and I just could keep going with it and going with it. And my husband is also incredibly supportive, which is also very helpful. If you're going to be a professional artist, do not marry somebody who does not like your work. Um, That will not work out very well. But... um, Yeah, so I've done a lot of different jobs. I've always made art, always created, got a degree from Iowa State, and then went and did a bunch of like weird jobs. I worked with um, developmentally disabled adults for years. I did birth photography, I've done um, graphic design, but I always did art on the side. And then when my son became old enough I just had this feeling that was as strong as when I wanted to have a baby, which is interesting. Like I didn't know I wanted to have kids until I really wanted to have a baby. And then when he got old enough, I had that same thing happen to me that I was just, I had been continuing to make work on the side around, you know, diaper changing and all the other stuff that's going on. And I just told my husband, I'm like, I think that's really what I need to do. And he said, well, how are you going to make that work? I said, I don't know. But I really like this is a very strong need to do. And I think it's right now. And that's worked out. I've always able to cobble together enough commissions and sales and strange jobs that it 
I've been able to keep it going. And now I have enough sales from work that I can, I don't have a problem maintaining. Like at the beginning, I would take any strange commission you gave me. I did, I did a charcoal drawing of a Godzilla. Does it pay $250? That's my studio rent. I will do that. Um, but now I get to doing enough of those, but being able to do the work that I cared about personally, um, always maintaining that because you want to show people what you want to do, not what they just know that you can do. And so over time, people started asking me to do what I really wanted to do. And now that's what I full time. Was there a switch that flipped or something that changed over time? Or was that just a slow, gradual change towards you kind of deciding what you want to do more often than not? I, you know, it was interesting. I had a meeting, you know, cause I was, the thing that I studied in college was fibers. And so I was dyeing wool. I was making quilts. I was weaving tapestries. I was doing a bunch of things that were not at all like what I do now. And when those things just were not applicable when I had a baby, I didn't have a loom. I didn't want needles around, you know, it just wasn't going to work. And so I went back to drawing and painting and I wanted to learn how to do oils. I had not been trained in that at all. And so I started doing these surrealist interpretations of Flemish old masters paintings just to teach myself how to paint in oils. And those were really successful. People liked them. And so I was selling them on the side and I have a friend who has a, a master's in business. And I said, you know, I've got the studio space and I have this series of work that I'm kind of teaching myself how to do the oils, but then I don't know. I've had this other work that's different. It's photorealistic. It's, it's, it feels pretty strong to me. And she sat down and like, well, let's do a little business plan. And um, she calls it an intuitive business plan because it's not like you can guarantee sales in art. And, um, and she was like, I think you should do the Flemish old masters works. And I was like, I feel like that's not it. I said, I, what I want really is not, the sales are nice, but what I really want is to be in museums. And I think the other work is more what fits in a museum. And so it wasn't really a switch going off. There was a series of questions and like making a decision that um, was an intuitive business plan. You know, what kind of work, what would I feel like I'd achieved something at the end of my life if this, and it was, if my work went into, biz, into museum collections, then I would have felt like I made it. And so I decided to make very conscious choices about the work that I was making, um, knowing that like, if I don't make a plan to go there, I will not get there. And I may not get there, but at least I'm working towards that goal. Because I don't know, you kind of, if you don't have rules, if you don't have a, um, if nobody's telling what to do and you have to tell yourself what to do, you get hit with all these different opportunities and they all look good on paper. And if you're nervous about making money, you can throw your efforts in all these different directions and then end up with nothing at the end. You made a little bit of money, but you didn't build a career. And I really wanted to have an art career. I, I totally understand that. What are some of the, or what's one or maybe a few lessons you've learned since being full-time, you know, for more than two decades? What's, what are some of the big lessons you've learned in, in art? Mm -hmm. Well, one of them is that 
it is almost always having a little more faith in yourself than other people might, which is kind of an interesting thing it, because, you know, like my husband asking, well, like, how are you going to pay for your studio? It's like, I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm going to have to build this career and I don't have a model for this. There was nobody that I knew that was doing what I wanted to do. And so um, it's a risk to go out and do that. And I always felt like, well, the fallback is I can get a real job. I've had real jobs all my life. It's possible to do this. And what's the worst that's going to happen? And I think that like asking myself that question over and over again, I've met a lot of people um, teaching classes who they had done art and loved it, maybe even gotten a college degree in it and then stopped for a variety of reasons. It might be job or family or move, whatever. It happens a lot. And then they would come back as adults to take a class just because they, they felt that call again. They wanted to go back to art, which I always find fascinating. Like why now what's bringing you back? Um, but they would be so hesitant about it. And it's like, well, I don't know. What's the worst that's going to happen? You're not going to kill anybody. You're not probably going to bring yourself to destitution. So why not take that opportunity? You don't have to jump in with both feet. You can make a, you can make a sliding step into it. But if you care about it, if it means a lot to you, that's worth investing in. And nobody else is going to do that for you. You really have to advocate for yourself. You might be able to find somebody that's a, a mentor to help you along the way, but you're going to have to be your own in a certain in a certain way, you have to kind of defend yourself. <laughs> I don't mean it in a bad way, but like, it is one of those careers that people kind of like look askance at you when you, they say like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm an artist. And they like, what kind of artist? What do you do? Um, because most people don't know a real professional artist who makes a living at it. And there are so many different ways to be an artist. There are people that do the arts festivals that make really good money just traveling around making art that they sell at the arts festivals. There are people that are doing what I'm doing where you have like this pinnacle that you're thinking, I want it to be way up here. Then you've got people that like, I just like to paint beautiful flowers. And there's certainly plenty of people that just wanna look at a painting of beautiful flowers. It's just all these different ways. And with the internet, you can, you can sell so much stuff on Instagram if you want. The opportunities are out there. So, I mean, my advice to people is if you really, really, you know, I feel like an artist, a, an artist with a capital A versus small A artist, we're all that. Capital A artist, like if it's really in you that you've got to make things. If you're not making things, I think they get a little crazy. You're not as balanced. You're not as happy. And so like, why, why take that away from yourself? You should make yourself happy. Nobody else can do that for you. Mm -hmm. Behind you, uh, you have a, a one of your um, drawings, I imagine. It's a, a lot of white space. It's a horse galloping for people who are listening. Could you tell us a little bit about that one? I'm, I'm kind of interested because it's sticking out to me. Yeah, um, I have a, an ongoing series that I started, oh gosh, I want to say like nine years ago. The years are starting to fly by. Um, I had... Most of the time when I start work, I'm slow. Like some people like, they come in, they just make a painting a day. <laughs> I'm not that person. I'm, a, I'm a plodding through this. I like long-term projects. 
Um, so it takes me a while to like come up with an idea and then have the time to actually make it. And so usually it's just like, I have a question or I've noticed something that's interesting. And if it's still interesting after a month or two or six, when I'm done with the other project, then I know that that's a winner. I need to go in and, and do that work. Um, usually it's just kind of like something that's rolling around in my head and it takes a while for it to formulate what that's going to look like and why it's going to work. But the horses were something that actually came whole cloth, which that almost never happens. Like I had a vision and I was like, I have to make that. And the vision that I had just sitting on the couch and then I saw it, it was like this giant drawing, life-size drawing of a horse falling. And I am a horse girl. I, I was obsessed with horses as a kid. And I used to have them and show them when I was in high school. And um, so for me, they're like a special love, real passion. And they're just so beautiful. I think objectively as an animal, they're very beautiful and strong. They have this relationship to people that they're like the first machine in a certain way, like their transportation, they're, they plow your fields, they were the engines of war and travel, um, but they are incredibly fragile. So if they, if they fall, they tend to break. If they break, there's really nothing you can do for them. It just, they don't heal well. And so they get put down. And so the idea of like, this vision that I had wasn't, I mean, the vision of what the image looked like was pretty clear. What it meant was not clear at the time, but I was like, I want to draw a life-size horse falling. And my husband, and I was like, I don't know how to do this because it's a really big sheet of paper. I mean, that's eight to nine feet wide. And um, my husband's like, well, why don't you just do a painting? You can get canvas that big. That's easy. And I was like, I don't know. It feels like a drawing. It feels like it's supposed to be a drawing. So it took me a year and a half between having that vision and actually just figuring out the mechanics of like, well, how am I going to make this piece, the first one? And then working on it, it took I don't know, five or six months to do the first drawing because it's color pencil on paper. And so I, um, the large scale one's not the one behind me, but I have one on the wall right now that I'm working on it's larger than life. And so that takes, it's me with a pencil on a ladder, drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing. And um, so you spend enough time with it, then you start to, you're just sitting and thinking about it. It's kind of this meditative process. And I realized that like, well, this is kind of me looking at losing something really important. You know, this is a horse dropping to its death. And what does that feel like? And what does that mean? And um, it means like, how do you let go? How do you be, how do you be comfortable with somebody that is in free fall? Cause we all are, you, your life is like, by the time you're aware of it, you're already in it, right? I don't know when your first memory is, mine's from two and a half to three years old. I've already had two to three years of like started and then suddenly you're just in it. And you don't, the, the thing about life is that it's, for most people, most of the time, you have no idea how much time you actually have. So when is that like, do I have a year? Do I have 20 years? Do I have 40 years? No idea. 
And so it's like, we're all in this process of free fall, not knowing how far from the grounds that we are and that we should have grace with that. We should have um, compassion for ourselves because, and, and pay attention to it because you never know if like the last time you spent, you know, you go visit with a friend, that may be the very last time you ever see them. How should you behave? Um, but also just compassion with all those other people because they're doing the same thing. What have you been up to lately? I just, I think I saw that there's an upcoming exhibition at Moberg that you're going to be featuring in. Can you tell us a little bit about um, yeah, what you've been up to and maybe a little bit about that exhibition coming up? Yeah, that um, I got a Iowa Arts Council project grant to do a body of work that will be shown at Moberg. Um, the opening will be on June 18th, and I think it will actually be Real People in a Space, um, which after all this year, I, it's been, the show's been pushed back a couple of times. And like, I don't know if people can come in and see it. And it <laughs> we, feels had, like- we had Ryan Mullen on, and they had just, uh, that was right before they opened the Chris Vance exhibition. And he was yeah, so excited to have people there. So excited. Yeah. And it makes a huge difference seeing art that way, right? You know, the texture of something is completely different in person than it is on your computer screen. And this work is in particular makes a difference, whether you can come and see it in person. Um, this, the body of work is called um, Death and the Good Life. Because again, thinking about that, uh, but not in a morbid way, more in a cheerful, like enjoy your life way. You don't know how much time you got, enjoy it, do your best. And so one of the pieces that's in the show is I was thinking about like, well, how would I judge myself? You know, if I, if I knew I had enough time in the dying process, what would I be thinking about? I think I would be thinking about the people that I've been in relationship with over my, the course of my life, the good ones and the bad ones, the ones that failed why did it fail? Wish that I could have done something different. And so I asked 41 people to take a selfie of themselves. Obviously, it's a selfie. Uh, take a selfie while they're thinking about me and focusing on the I. And then send it to me. And so each one of those got isolated into a, a circle or an oval. And I drew them using graphite on black paper. So like there's very little tonal difference between graphite and black paper, but it's very reflective. And so what happens is I've had this series of 41 of these eyes that are just the expression. I know what they're, I don't know what they're thinking. I know the emotion that they're feeling, whether it's good or bad. (laughs) Some of them are bad and um, which, is totally valid. I get it. It's important. And it made me think about things a lot. I mean, you spend like anywhere between four and 12 days on a drawing of somebody's eye, just looking at the expression and realizing how they feel about you and your relationship. <laughs> you really think about things. It made me apologize to a few people. It cleared some stuff up. It was a good project. But um But the thing about them is that because it's the reflection of the light that really allows you to see them, it depends on where you're standing. And so all of the 41 drawings, the 42nd person is myself. So I am not represented in a drawing. I am there in spirit. So I consider it a 41 piece self-portrait basically. But 
the reason that it was important to have an in-person opening is because you kind of have to like move around because they appear and disappear like ghosts, depending on where you're standing compared to the light. And um, so that's one of the pieces that will be in the show. That sounds awesome. And I, I can't wait to check it out. I'm sure we're all going to check it out here at DSM. But um, Larissa, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you chatting with me, taking me through your life a little bit and what you've been up to. So thank you so much. Thanks, Luke. It was really nice to meet you. All right. Uh, and make sure to uh, subscribe to our podcast if you want to listen to more episodes like this one. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, wherever you get your audio. We'll talk to you next time.